So we're reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians that we've been working through the last few weeks. Words are to your right on the screen so you can pick up on all my mistakes. Let's go. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I have died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by you believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. 
the law introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Well, thank you very much, David. Paul, in Galatians 2 verse 20, says... I do not set aside the grace of God because if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then I'm going to tell you how that verse saved my soul. Father in heaven, help us uh, as we wade through what's a kind of a dense passage, help us to see with clarity uh, what Christ has done for us and how salvation is by grace alone, received through faith alone. Please write this deeply in ourselves, on our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want you to think back in time. Imagine me just after high school. I've just started university. I'm a keen Christian. I'm excited about being at uni. I've just returned from beach mission Super excited, super keen, keen to meet new Christians who I haven't met, keen to share Christ with people who aren't. On my second day, day two, I'm walking between lectures and I get in a conversation with a fellow beside me who says, g'day buddy. Uh, Quickly I establish that he thinks he's a Christian. He says uh, he's a bit cagey about which church he goes to, although When I press him, he says something called the Sydney Church of Christ, which to me sounds sounds like a mainstream church because I've heard of churches of Christ. Uh, Married someone, actually, who comes from that background. Okay, I thought it was mainstream, except it wasn't. Uh, It was, in fact, a cult. Um, No one knew about this cult. I was the first person on the New South Wales, University of New South Wales campus ever to be contacted by them. There wasn't anyone there who knew about them or who could warn me about them. Right. So we were talking and when I found out he was a Christian, I said, great, do you want to do some evangelism? He said, why don't we do a Bible study? That irked me a bit because I thought I asked you first but I'm not against Bible studies, so okay. And I remember the topic of the first one. It was on the question, who is truly saved? And I was told the teaching on this is like a funnel in the Bible. So at its widest perimeter, uh, John 3.16, what must you do to be saved? You must believe in the Son, and then you will not perish. You'll have eternal life. But I was told the teaching actually gets more restrictive because if you read John chapter 8, verse 32, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll really be my disciple and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's belief, they said, belief in Jesus plus holding to Jesus' teaching. And then it went down further. Revelation chapter three, Jesus' letter to the church at Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, so I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth, says Jesus, to people in this church. And then I was asked the question, so what do you think? Do you think you're hot? You know, as a Christian, sorry, not looking, but you know, like, you know what I mean. And 
you know, in Jesus' assessment, and I said, well, I, I hope so. And they said, well, how, how much evangelism would someone who's hot do? Uh, suddenly, I was shaken. And I doubted my salvation. Well, I spent, they seemed keen and uh, wanted to spend time with me, so I spent more and more time with Michael over the next three weeks. It was true, people in their church did seem genuinely on fire. Uh, they evangelised a lot, which was astounding, I mean, much more than what happened in the church that I was currently in. Soon I was told that, after a couple of weeks, that um, the people who were in my church who called themselves Christians weren't true Christians. And that if I was baptised as a member of their church, which really only seemed to be the true church that took the Bible seriously, then I would be the first Christian ever converted at New South Wales University campus. Now, at that point, I thought I smelled a rat. But the trick was they were, they seemed so genuine. They seemed so active, so zealous, taking their faith seriously. And uh, so it wasn't long before I, was, I found myself at the front door of my church minister, knocking on the door, telling him, I'm going to leave church and join another one. At which point he said, I appreciate your zeal, but can we just look at the Bible together? Because I don't think you've got things quite right. Now, the decision to say yes at that point was quite hard for me because you know, I'd gone through so many steps to get to that point. But I thought, no, it's too important, I should say yes, because the Bible will speak to me. So I remember ringing up the guy who spoke to me, Michael, and I remember saying, look, um, I'm slowing down, um, I need to read the Bible with my church minister, and I remember literally having to hold the phone out from my ear because the abuse and the shouting was so loud on the end of the phone. That was revelatory. It was also pretty disturbing and pretty hurtful. Uh, but now I was in a crisis, because who did I trust? They seemed so keen, but were abusive. They seemed so, I don't know, ordinary. Um, <laughs> who did I trust? Then I began reading the Bible like never before, as if my life depended on it, because it felt like it did. Uh, my foundation, if you like, had shifted, and I, I I was reading, trying to find the truth, putting aside what I, my, my presuppositions before and trying to build up from the Bible. I was so anxious about this, I developed a stomach ulcer out of worry. I was so um, driven to read the Bible in every spare moment, I was reading it as I was walking between lectures because uh, I, I needed not to waste any time. I needed to find the truth. Then I came to Galatians chapter 2. And in verse 20, I read these words. Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God because if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, the truth in that verse saved me. Suddenly, I saw very clearly what these people had let go of. They had let go of the gospel. Uh, the news, the good news from God, which says how a sinner can stand before God and be declared by God uh, to be righteous before him, to be justified in his eyes. 
This is what Paul sets out so wonderfully in the passage before us. If you have a Bible, open it, right? This is the theological center of where he's been driving. This is where it's all been heading. Remember how earlier on in chapter one, I'm astonished that you're turning to a different gospel. I'm really irate with those people who are preaching a different gospel. Here's how you can trust me, says Paul. And now he gets to the guts of what he's uh, wanting to say. What he says here saved my soul and it can save yours too. There is no more important issue than where each of us stand before God. So suppose today it was your last day of your life. We wake up every morning not thinking this will be true, but you live long enough and realize accidents happen, it could be. Suppose you died today Now, would you be sure that you're going to heaven? Now, I don't want you to give me the pat answer. I want you to be honest in your soul. Would you be sure? Could you be sure? Now, suppose you did die and then you found yourself before Jesus and Jesus asked you a question and he said, why should I let you in? I'm pretty sure he won't actually say this, by the way. But just suppose he did. What would you say to him? Uh, Well, I hope I've been good enough. Um, I've tried to live a consistent life. Uh, I, I wasn't intentionally harming other people while I lived. I'm sorry if I did. What would you say? Well, wouldn't it be wonderful if you knew you were going to heaven, that this truth was deep within you and that you had a solid basis to say that, that'd be great, wouldn't it? What God tells us in this passage through Paul, our apostle, is exactly this. What we are talking about is justification. This is a word used in the Bible. It is a word which comes from the law courts. It is the word to describe how someone could enter into God's court and God is the judge and he could bring down his gavel before a sinner before him and say, not guilty. In other words, this person is justified in my eyes. I have declared them to be righteous. We are in right standing with one another. That's what justification is. How could it happen? Paul today will say four things about justification. Number one, It can only be by God's grace alone, received through faith alone. Second, it is being received through faith alone. Third, justification has always been through faith alone. And finally, justification will always be through faith alone. Okay, that's where we're going. The points are on your outline. First of all, justification can only be by grace alone, received through faith alone. Chapter two, verse 15 to 21. Paul begins by saying what every Jew who's become a Christian knows, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, that is the opposite to what we typically think Jewish people thought. So we think that the Jewish mindset 
was to think they, they, they could get right with God by all their obedience to the law. They thought it was all about them. Ha <laughs> ha, we're more enlightened than, that than them, we know differently. Um, Paul says, we who are Jews by birth, who grew up under the law, we know it's impossible to keep them. It's a dead end. We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, any bozo who thinks that we think we're justified by works of the law has got it completely wrong. <laughs> because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. All Jewish Christians know this. So justification, he says, is not something we achieve ourselves. We can't make it right with God any more than we can kind of lift ourselves up to heaven by lifting ourselves up by our bootstraps. Try and do that, see how far you get, right? Which means if it doesn't come from us, it can only come from God. He enables it to happen. Now, why? Well, it's not earned. It, it can't be deserved. Our justification comes entirely out of God's grace. His gracious kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Justification can only be by God's grace alone. Now, how does it come to us? Well, it's received not as a reward for what we do, not as payment for anything that we've done, not as, an, uh, you know, as, as earning, um, but by a nothing, by faith, trusting God. The emphasis in saying it's by faith, received through faith, is not to say faith is a massive work that we contribute. No, 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 it's, it's how small it is. <laughs> it's, it's just trusting God's promise, that's it that what God promises us in Jesus is true. That whoever believes in Jesus has eternal life, full stop, nothing extra needed. Because belief in Jesus changes us. Um, let me go back to this funnel idea that I was taught. Um, the Bible's teaching on who is saved is not a funnel, it's a cylinder if you want to have a geometric kind of analogy. That is, those who believe in Jesus at the widest point are those who hold to Jesus' teaching. They are the ones who will be hot. That is, they stay true to Jesus when the pressure's on. It's the same because faith in Jesus works itself out in our lives. Okay, but justification can only be by grace alone and received through faith alone. But of course, grace is so misunderstood, isn't it? And we get it wrong. We misunderstand it. Haven't you thought in the, the sinful depravity of your mind at one point or other, if I've got a ticket, a get out of jail free card, if Jesus has bought me that, then I can do what I want. Haven't you thought, oh great, I can sin however I want. Paul says, absolutely not. He says, in fact, here's the truth, rather than justification leading to an increase in sin, really, here's what happens, justification leads to an increase in righteousness. How so? Because, he says, it's those who've been justified by faith who are the very people who then die to themselves and who live for God. Put it another way, that righteous status that God conveys on people who believe in Jesus, that 
comes out in righteousness in our lives. Verse 20 says it. It's very powerful. I want you to have a look, everyone. Look at verse 20, chapter two. It speaks of the transformational power that God brings about in those who are justified. And Paul describes it in his own life by way of explanation. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. Isn't that astounding? Jesus Christ has taken control of his life. Now, most of us are thinking, well, I don't know that that's totally true of me. I mean, a bit, hopefully, Um, because you know the temptation you struggle with, don't you? You know your weak points. What's Paul mean? When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, the I he's referring to is his sinful, unconverted self that wanted to reassert itself every time and be autonomous and saying, "Uh, God, you don't decide what to do in my life, I do. I'm gonna be captain of my own ship. God gets stuffed, I can do what I want, right? Now, when you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus, that I gets crucified because what you do is you turn to God and you say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord. I will now depend on him. I will listen to him. And when I stray, I will repent and bring my life under him again. So that's a totally different person to the one who was before. That I has been crucified with Christ. Paul says that I, in his own life, no longer lives, but Jesus Christ lives in me. Okay. Um, then he, you say, well, what does that mean that Jesus Christ lives in us? Well, he explains. He says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. In other words, he's talking about an internal motivational change that's happened. It's not like I'm bucking against God all the time. I love him. He loved me. He gave himself for me. I want to please him. And yes, there's times when I don't, you know, and there's a struggle. But the thing is, there's a struggle, there's a conflict now. And I will submit myself to him. Okay. It's not saying I'm earning my salvation. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. But he loved me and he gave himself for me and that changes everything. So um, it's impossible for someone who's been justified by faith in Jesus to remain unchanged or unrepentant of sin (laughs) or not showing forth Christ's righteousness in their lives. Uh, Justification doesn't lead to an increase in sin. It leads to an increase in righteousness, right? That is the life changed by grace. So to anyone who's saying the gospel of grace makes sin grow, Paul said that's completely untrue. And then he says, verse 21, the verse, this was the verse that so spoke to me, I do not set aside the grace of God because if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Now, um, we do need to remember Jesus' death was not a trivial matter. So, you know, when you get home from the supermarket and you've realised you've bought two lots of things instead of one, and you think, oh, well, it doesn't matter. That's a trivial thing. Jesus' death was not trivial. Uh, His was the 
most horrible death for the most precious person alive. The shedding of the blood of the innocent and pure Son of God. Eternal blood of eternal value. Someone who didn't deserve what he went through. The only true human being who has ever lived. And he died. He died. The fact that Christ was sent to die for our sins tells us that righteousness can never be attained through the law or through our old efforts. You see, if, if sinners could make it right with God by being religious, by meditating constantly on God, by sitting on a pole in the middle of the desert for 40 years, by evangelizing five hours a day, by getting up at 5 a.m. to do a you know, quiet time. If you could attain righteousness and a right standing before God by your own efforts, then God would never have done the sacrilegious thing of having his son crucified. It was not a nothing. It was everything. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. But he did die because righteousness cannot be gained through the law. And that's why Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God. That's what you're doing if you rely on the law. You're setting aside the grace of God. He says, I won't do it because Christ died for everything, not for nothing, what an appalling thing to say that he died for nothing. So second point, um, sorry, first point, justification can only be by grace alone. Second point, being justified and experiencing the life of the Spirit is through faith alone. Paul says, I can't believe that you're giving up on what you know to be true. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as having been crucified for your sins. Christ has died to make you right with God. That has happened it has happened. So why are you thinking of taking your eyes off something God's already done because we couldn't do it for ourselves on the finished work of what he's, he's, he's bought for you and focusing your eyes on vapor, on your own efforts, when he's already won for you what you're looking for. That is just idiocy. Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Do you remember his words? It is finished. It's finished. You know, your constant anxiety before God, have I done enough to be in a right standing with God? Jesus says it's finished. You know, your continual nagging sense of inadequacy before God, you know, as if somehow it's all up to you. It's finished, says Jesus. You know, your desire to somehow invent things that you need to do, religious hoops to jump through, take on yourself the Jewish law or some other law that you invent for yourself, it's finished. No more. Your doubt, your lack of assurance, it's finished, says Jesus. It's finished. Once and for all. It's finished. Paul says, and how did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, when we hear the good news and we turn our place, our trust in Jesus, God declares us justified and then Christ lives in us. He gives us his Spirit. Paul says, has all that happened in vain? If it really was in vain? 
In other words, I do trust God. I do trust God that he's going to finish. You know, it won't be in vain. But it looks like it is with you guys. He says, what of the miracles? Has, you know, has God done those among you because you know, you've, been impressed, you've impressed him with participating in some Jewish feast or, or by believing what you heard? Paul's saying, look at your current experience. The fruits of justification in your life, it has happened through faith alone. Justification can only be by grace alone, through faith alone. Justification is being experienced among you through faith alone, as long as you don't throw it away. Thirdly, justification has always been through faith alone, which is why Paul brings up Abraham. Now, if you don't know who he is, okay, the Jewish people were descended from Abraham. He came before Moses, uh, before any law was given. It all began with him and a promise that God made Abraham to reverse the curse that was there um, in Eden and the world because of sin and to bring blessing on the world through Abraham and his descendants. Okay, when God made that promise, Abraham believed God and God justified him. God credited it to him as righteousness. Now that happened to the biological father of Israel. However, Please understand something about Abraham. He's not just the biological father of Jewish people. He's the spiritual father of everyone who, like him, has faith in God's gospel, his promise to bring blessing to the world. We heard that gospel as God's promise to bring blessing to the world through Jesus, Abraham's descendant, right? If you have faith in him, in that gospel, Abraham is our spiritual father. Uh, because we share trust in God. Now, what this means for us, of course, is that we should read the Old Testament because it's our story. Uh, it's our spiritual story, our spiritual family story. It is much more our story than Jewish people who do not trust in Jesus. It's more of our story than theirs. I'm just putting that out there. Now, what all this means is that if we rely on the law, now that Jesus has come, we place ourselves under a curse. When discussing Abraham, curse and blessing are the two opposites. Blessing comes through believing God's good news promise. Curse comes through letting go of faith and trying to achieve a right standing with God by our obeying the law. Whether it be Moses' law or any other law which we might try and construct. If we go down that route, for example, uh, if, I, if I say I have to eat kosher food to achieve righteousness before God, Paul says, get this, you don't just put yourself under that one law, it's a package deal. You put yourself under the whole lot. You have to do everything and that's impossible. And the punishment for not doing it is curse. But here is the good news. Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It was thought everyone who got crucified was cursed by God. So what he did was he became cursed by God to buy us out of slavery to that law, that Jewish law. He has freed us from that so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. It is so wonderful, I hope you do think about this, it's so wonderful that Jesus Christ has died for you. It really is. 
He has redeemed us from a system that didn't work so that we can be justified through faith and receive everything that comes from that. Justification can only be by grace alone, received through faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. Justification has always been through faith alone and finally justification will always be through faith alone. Did you know that when God made the promise to Abraham, he also made it to Christ? Here's a little thing to stretch you. God promised the blessing to Abraham, Abraham and his descendant, singular. Now, often it's translated in our Bibles as descendants. I checked in the Hebrew, it's actually descendant, it's singular. Now, um, Paul says that descendant, that one seed, is talking about Jesus, through whom blessing to the nations comes. Now, where are we in this promise? We're included in it because we are included in Christ. Uh, we can bond ourselves to him in faith. But the point is, and I think this is the point of Paul's argument, the promise that God gave Abraham happened before the law was given. Later on, God giving Moses the law doesn't do away with the promise. The promise still stands. Now that then will raise the whole issue of why does God give the law in the first place? That's next week's topic. But it's enough to know that the gospel uh, promise given to Abraham to bring blessing to the world includes Christ and everyone who has faith in him and therefore it still continues. So he's saying justification will always be through faith alone, not through any requirements of the law and not through any additional laws we construct for ourselves. You know, I'll, I'll be right with God. I don't really want to adopt everything Jewish, but if only I pray more. I'll be right with God if I repent more of the things that are obvious. I'll be right with God if I reform what I watch on screens. I'll be right with God, you know, if I don't speed. Um, now, doing all those things are good, but they don't make you right with God. Giving more money to church doesn't make you right with God. That, though I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, Our justification can only come from God's grace towards us. What we have to do is receive it by placing our trust in his gospel promise. I began by telling the true story of how I almost, for a time, swallowed a different gospel. Now, far from that giving me assurance, it gave me anxiety and fear. The good news, there's a good outcome of that story. Um, that cult, which by the way, Peter Bellamy said they tried it on him too when he was at Sydney Uni, um, that cult disbanded. It disbanded when the leaders realised they had departed from the gospel of grace alone and they repented and disbanded the church. Isn't that a good story? Um, I remember sometime later speaking to someone who I had actually got involved in that through my zeal another university student who stayed in a lot longer than me. And after everything fell apart, I remember talking to him um, on the library lawn at New South Wales University and he was lying down and we were talking and he said, it is just so good to know that I am saved by God's grace alone. It is such a relief. There you go. That was his testimony. What's yours? If you died tonight, 
would you be sure that you're going to heaven? Yes. I hope so. No. Would you? Could you be sure? Christ was crucified for all your sins. He did not die for nothing. Our righteous standing before God does not depend on what we do or how well or how, how poorly we obey the law. It can only come to us by God's grace alone and it's received through faith alone, which is, always has been, and always will be. If Jesus said to you, why should I let you into heaven? What then would you say? Now, in the sentence you, you construct in your head now, well, because what? If your sentence begins, because I have, you are walking down a dead end path. You are placing yourself under a law which you cannot fulfill. But if you said, because out of your grace, which I don't deserve, Christ died for me for all my sins and he is enough and he is more than enough. Well, wide would be Jesus' arms who were stretched out once for you to pay for your sins and stretch out again to welcome you home. Father in heaven, let us not set aside the grace of God because it's appalling to think that we could say that you died for nothing. Thank you that you died for everything that we need. Amen.